Welcome to the pulpit ministry of Christ Community Church in South Florida, aiming to make, mature, and multiply disciples by preaching and teaching God's Word based on the sufficiency of Scripture. And now, let's join Pastor Bernie Diaz for the message. Uh, Today, as uh, our brother Robert read, we're in Mark 7, and Jesus has been dealing with the religious leaders of the day as he is uh, prone to do, uh, correcting them at every turn, giving them some uh, instruction, some clarity. But, you know, uh, I think it seems as though to me, and we'll see from this text, that Jesus, while he's correcting these Pharisees and scribes and these leaders, he's really doing with the intent to teach everybody else, right? It's not uh, not necessarily he's going to change their minds because, after all, they want to kill him. They've already called him for working on the Sabbath by uh, picking some grains of wheat and for healing a man on the Sabbath. Um, Heaven forbid that you should do any kind of work like that, like taking care of one another. And in the beginning of chapter 7, we see that um, they were challenging him because his disciples were uh, eating with unwashed hands. And... We're talking about ceremonially washed. They didn't wash their hands for hygiene necessarily. It was they have to wash their hands before they eat. And if they didn't, that they were uh, not clean. And therefore, they were sinning. And the Lord challenged them and told them straight up, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. The Jews were holding their traditions at the same level and the same uh, authority as Scripture. All these traditions, all this hand-washing, all these things, and, uh, and as such, they were putting a yoke on the people, something adi- in addition that they had to bear, and all so that they would perform better and look better uh, before who? Well, it wasn't before God. It was before man. And it's all outward performance space. And Pastor Bernie dealt with that a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he dealt with the traditions that uh, Jesus was speaking to. Um, he also, uh, you know, he talked about how it was lip service. And that's what Isaiah was speaking to, how they say with their lips that they love and carry, but their hearts are so far away. There is a bit of eye service here, things that we do to impress others. And there's also legalistic, uh, which is adhering to man's law versus God's law, and also spiritual pride. Well, I do this. You should do it too. And I'm holier than thou because I do these things. And all these things uh, Pastor Bernie addressed, and and it wasn't something that was only scribes and Pharisee. Last week when we were having Reformation Day, uh, Pastor Bernie also mentioned uh, the traditions that the Catholic Church holds to and the doctrines and commandments of men that they hold to that would, they would also uh, call as high as Scripture, as authority, authoritative as Scripture, and therefore the need for the Reformation of the Church, which what we went through last week. And if we're honest and understanding and truly kind of think about it, most of us have come from some sort of 
uh, religious system or background that is on a weighted scale. You know, to some extent, we kind of do that with our kids a little bit. Well, he's mostly good most of the time. Sometimes he's bad, but most of the time they're pretty good. So if we put those weights of the scale, they're going to come out pretty good. That's what most religious systems are based on. You do more good than bad, you might get in. Either you're pleasing whoever the religious leaders are, their false god perhaps, you're coercing them into the god into allowing you in because you do all these alms and good things. And we shouldn't be surprised that there's a, a desire for man to work to get something. I mean, that's, it's in us for men and women to work, to earn. And it's not unusual. And Ecclesiastes says that God put eternity on our hearts. So we also have a desire to go someplace better. Eternity. And man and men, mankind should be seeking long-term arrangements. This is not just the short-term lease that we have here on earth. It is a very finite, it's one and done earth. And we need to be looking for long-term arrangements. The question really is whether we're even capable of doing it. Do we have it in us? Do we have the heart for it? Do we have the stomach for it? And that's what today's scripture is about. So let's, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Lord taking the time to educate the disciples. And we thank you that your word has captured this discourse for us, Lord. So that we can learn, that we can apply it, Lord, that we can walk humbly with you, that we can learn of our own nature, Lord, and seek to be more like Christ, Lord. Lord, let these words that I'm speaking, Lord, let them come from you. Let the hearers hear. Let those that need to hear and understand, Lord, let them understand, oh God. We all need your word. We all need you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what defiles a person? That's the header in my Bible anyway. So let's start in verse 14. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. I'll touch on it, verse 16. Or it might be in your Bible, it might not. depends on what version, translation you may have. But verse 16 says, If anyone has hear, uh, ears to hear, let him hear. And that is a wonderful phrase, but it's not in the earliest manuscripts, the best manuscripts of Mark. So we're not going to read that. But it is a true truth that we would love that anyone has ears to hear. Let him hear about this scripture. Jesus calls attention to the people. He remember earlier in the chapter or in this uh, account, um, he had already spoken to the Pharisees, had already challenged about the hand washing, said your lips, are, your lips say one thing, but you guys are so far, your hearts are so far away from the Lord, from God himself. And now he had given a, a teaching, an opportunity for the people to hear. So he called 
the people to himself to explain to them, everybody here, please understand, nothing outside of you is going to defile you. It's what's already in you. And so he gave them a simpler teaching, a more basic teaching, something that they hopefully would be able to understand. And he did it for the people's sakes. He had been challenging the theologians and the Pharisees of the day because they should have known better. So he chastised them, poured some condemnation on them, and he was a little bit more gentler with the people. Now, the Pharisees knew what he was talking about. They understood what he was saying. You know, sometimes uh, you might get some condemnation and not even realize it, like somebody is just, you know, condemning me. I don't even know it. They knew what was going on. In fact, in Matthew 15, the parallel account, 15:12 says, the disciples came to him and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Now, that's pretty harsh. It's like, oh, they, they were upset at your teaching. I don't care. They're blind. They're not going to understand. And they are going to lead other blind people into the pit. Rather than let them, you know, rather than stop them and say, hey, uh, you know what, okay, let me, let me explain to them a little bit further. I'm going to be a little bit more gentle. Get it. He knew they weren't going to get it. And in fact, the disciples had asked them before, why do you speak in, parable, in parables? And in fact, the, the, the scripture, the, the word here uh, in Mark is, could be translated riddle. It's even a little bit more confusing than just a story. It's a, but in Matthew 13, he quoted Isaiah just so we have an understanding of why he speaks in parables. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and, they eyes, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I will heal them. He's quoting Isaiah. He's quoting Isaiah and saying, I'm telling them these truths in these parables because some of them are not going to hear, and they're not going to see, and I don't want them to. That is something that can blow your mind. Well, why is that? I don't know. The Lord knows why he did it, but he did it for that reason. He did it so those that could hear and could see whose hearts were inclined towards God as best as they could, that they would hear and understand. And afterward in private, not publicly, right? So Jesus is there and he's talking to the people. He makes the statement, everybody hear and understand what comes out, you know, what goes in. Doesn't defile you, it's what comes out. And then later in private, they're like, hey, uh, Jesus, can you explain what this means to us? We don't get it. We're not going to say it in front of everybody else, but we don't get it. And actually, in Matthew, it says specifically it was Peter that asked the question. That's fine. Mark says, disciples, 
Uh, Matthew says Peter. But he asks the question, isn't that, a, isn't that a cool thing? I mean, we have open response here, right? How often has it happened that when someone else asks a question, you're thankful and glad for it? Because now you've learned something. And you might have been a little afraid, a little hesitant to ask the question because you don't want to look, oh, I don't know my Bible, I don't know what's going on. But that's okay. You know, the disciples did the right thing. Hey, we don't get it. And we need to have a little grace for them. Why didn't they get it? Why didn't they understand? Well, verse 18, and he said to them, then, you, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. And then there's this parenthetical statement that says, thus he declared all foods clean. Right? So you have what Jesus said, and then you have this little tag there that comes from uh, Mark writing and trying to explain what he meant by that, because they still didn't get it. And we'll see later why. How difficult was this? Well, verse 18 does confirm what we would have expected and suspected should have in verse 15. What was he talking about? The context of the parable and the teaching is about food. It's about food. Strictly, right? What you take in. There, We had the Mosaic Law. And in Leviticus 11, you can have a whole list there. Knock yourself out if you want to read all the food that they were not supposed to eat. You also have in Deuteronomy 14, split hooves, no, chew the cud, mix it, the milk and the thing. They had a lot of them. And um, we know that it has to also be food, not just from the point that he says, you know, food goes in the heart. It doesn't, goes into the stomach. Well, because what goes into your mouth is food, comes out the other side, right? It's expelled. It is eliminated, as the NASB says. It passes through. It goes out into the sewer, the NRSV says, to give you a little bit more. Parents, you have your little children. You probably use certain words for this, what I'm talking about, but it's a natural process of putting food in your mouth, processing it, and expelling it, right? I see some giggles. I'm not going to say what it is. You are intelligent people and sensible people, but you can explain it to your children. But we know it's food. Food goes in and it comes out. So Jesus was making the point about food. The food you eat doesn't make you a sinner any more than it can make you holy. Right? I can't eat holy foods. The cracker we're going to have for Lord's Supper it's not going to make us any more holy. If we had whole grain, gluten-free, Ritz, saltine, whatever your favorite is, Biscoff, it's not quite a cracker. 1 Corinthians 6, 13 says, Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. It's just food. And in saying that, that, was, that confused them enough. Now, we again, we have to have some grace. 
Why would they be alarmed at all this? Why would the Pharisees be mad and angry? Well, Jesus had just declared all foods clean. And this is a challenging teaching for the disciples and everybody else. They had been under this law all their lives. All their lives, they should have been following these dietary restrictions. Now imagine that if you all your life were restricted, you couldn't eat cheese, and then one day somebody said, you can have all the cheese you want. You might go, I don't know, is it going to hurt me? Because you've been told all your life that cheese is bad for you. So it, it's a mind shift. Most of us only restrict our foods today based on what we like, or maybe there's some self-imposed dietary restriction because we're trying to lose weight, or there's some medical restriction. So it's hard to grasp, maybe, but we still want to be gracious because it took them years to get over this teaching. Years. It wasn't like, oh, well, Jesus said I could eat whatever I want. If you turn to Acts 10, you'll see Peter has this vision. He's given a vision of all these foods that you could eat. The skies open up. There's a blanket with food and a table. And a voice from above says, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And it, I'm sure that's a sincere thing. I don't not trying to say, like, oh, I've never eaten anything unclean. Pretty sure it was sincere. And then the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. The word says this happened three times. It took Peter three times. In fact, it didn't take Peter three times. Because in verse 15, uh, I'm sorry, I think it's verse 17, he says, Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what he had seen. I don't know what to do with it. I have a vision. There's food of all sorts of clean and unclean foods. The voice from above, whom I called Lord, tells me I can eat it, but I'm still perplexed. This is just to give you a mindset of how challenging this teaching really was. In Romans 14, one, it says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but do not quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not, one, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Colossians 2.20 and, and after. If with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used. According to human precepts and teachings, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Oh, well, that gets back to the heart of the matter. All these things that 
they said, don't touch, don't eat, don't drink, don't do, has nothing to do with whether you sin or indulge the flesh. Well, why is that? If you're interested in more uh, uh, regarding that topic, and I'm telling you, they dealt with this probably for 30, 40, 50 years. There's more scripture that that should be up there for further study, maybe, for further study. Maybe, maybe not. (laughs) Uh, Acts 15, good place to look. 1 Corinthians 8, Galatians 2. They were challenged by this. It seems like a simple thing to us. Seems like, well, what's the big deal? You can eat whatever you want. But we weren't living like this. Their world was turned upside down. And at the same time as Jesus was declaring all these foods clean, in a manner of speaking, because he didn't say it exactly like that, he declared all hearts dirty. So the food is clean. It's the heart that is dirty. And he said, what comes out of a man, uh, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, out of the heart of man. So we're going to camp out on heart because I've used the word heart a lot. And uh, I want to make sure that we, we know what we're talking about when the Bible uses the term heart. It's in the Bible, uses the word heart or cardia, like cardio over 800 times throughout the scriptures. And uh, most of it, most of the time, the vast majority, it's related to the inner self, the will, the volition, uh, the mind, your desires. It's not talking about the muscle, the heart organ. Okay? Especially in this context. So when most of the time when you see in the scripture... The heart, it's talking about the only place that there's only two people that know what's going on. That's you and God. You and God. It controls your mind, your emotions, your will, your desires. That is the heart, cardia. Individuals have hearts. Groups have hearts, like CCC has a heart. Nations can have hearts. Israel is a great example. Collectively, their will, their desire, their passions, collectively is the heart. But we're talking individual hearts here. You could have hearts that turn away from God or hearts that turn to God. You can't have hearts of stone, hearts of flesh. But the default position of the heart is sinful. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. The default position is dirty. So we go back. So for from within, out of the heart, out of this will, out of his passion, out of his desire, comes, boom, a list. Evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, witness, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within. They defile a person. Not the food, 
not the cup, not the whatever. It's what's in you. You're already defiled by these things. And there is, we know that this is the default position. Genesis 6-5 tells us that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Jeremiah 17:9 The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's actually oddly enough one of my favorite verses. Oddly enough, most of the time it's something, you know, oh, the Lord has planned for you and all that. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I need to be thinking about this all the time. It helps me personally to avoid sin because I know it comes from within. I rhymed. I didn't even intend to. So who can understand the heart? Well, the Lord understands it. He's the only one that can understand it. He made us. He didn't intend for us to be this way. But this is the way we are. So, he addressed it here. He gave us a list. I will go through the list. I don't, it's not an exhaustive list. There's actually more. <laughs> and there'll be some scriptures at the end where you can, if you're interested in more sins that come from within or come from the flesh for your own personal study, in the Greek text, the first seven items listed here, they're plural. They don't, in the ESV, they're not, they don't come out plural. I think NASB does a little better job, I believe. They make it more of a plural. So it's implied that they're repeated acts, things you do over and over again. And you might do it on a regular basis. Doesn't mean you're constantly, you know, sinning all the time. But it's not a one, one and done. So evil thoughts... Kakos di logismos. I'm not Greek. I've got to work on my Greek. Kakos dialogismos. It means intentions, attitudes, thoughts, perceptions, ideas, designs, musings. Ah, let me just think of something, anything, and then all of a sudden it becomes an evil thought. A process the process of your mind when it goes bad. I have a sister who tells me every once in a while, you don't want to spend three minutes in my brain. i like, I understand. You don't want to spend any time in my mind, in my heart. Because at any moment, something bad can pop in. It's a constant battle, folks. It should be. It should be. If we think we're good, we're going to need to read this word again. Sexual morality, fornications, as uh, Jesus mentioned, is the word pornea, is where we get pornography from. Um, I think the, the number one reason for growth of the Internet is pornography. It's everywhere. There's billions of websites, and probably 20 times that in people seeking pornography, but it is sexual immorality of any kind outside of the covenant of marriage. Thefts and murders, fairly self-explanatory. Yes, 
Do we have murderous intents in our hearts? Well, the Lord said, yeah. If we're angry with a brother, we call him Raka, you're going to be judged as if you murdered them. Okay. Adultery. Sex of any kind that violates a marriage vow and covenant? Yes. Of course. The Lord said in Matthew 5.28, but I say to you that any... Everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. In his heart. This is a heart matter. It's not a physical thing. You don't even have to do anything. You just succumb to your desires. Coveting, which literally means uh, greedinesses. Plural, greediness. It's not necessarily, I want that thing. It could be, I'm just cheap. I want to keep the money for myself. I don't want to tip that person. All they did was bring me some food. Right? Really? Be careful. Are you hanging on to it a little too tightly? Wickedness. Kind of a catch-all, all all kinds of malicious evil. Everything that comes out of the heart. The second, the the six following, the six following are more like, uh, they're singular in the Greek text. And it's more of an attitude. It's how you basically live all the time. Or at least some extent. Deceit means lying. All right. Not telling the truth. Being deceptive. Bearing false witnesses. Uh, sensuality, that, that one's a little tougher. What's being sensual? Well, it means having a debased mind, debauchery, lewdness, uh, a dirty mind that shows up in conversation and behavior. That was a little challenging. Maybe sometimes you tell a joke here or there. Be careful. Yeah, it's just a joke. Really? What's coming out of the heart? Is it just a joke? What is motivating you? That's what we're talking about. Envy, literally, ophthalmos poneros. Ophthalmos. Where we get ophthalmology. It literally means evil eye. The evil eye. What? That means to look at somebody with hate, anger, envy. We could be envious, but we're looking at them and angry that they have something that we we should have. Slander is an interesting word. Blasphemia. Oh, that sounds like blasphemy. That is. It's the same word. Well, how could it be? Blasphemy applies to God. Yes, it's blasphemous when we speak ill of God, when we use his name in vain, when we attribute something to him that isn't him, same thing when we do that to our brothers or sisters or other people. It's abusive speech. We are blaspheming them, but we translate that word slander, more common word. Pride or arrogance, feeling superior over others, pretty straightforward. Foolishness, senselessness and unthinking. All kinds of foolishness comes out of heart. Hmm. Have you ever done any foolish things? 
senseless, unthinking? Okay, comes out of your heart. It is sin. How could that be? I wasn't even thinking. <laughs> exactly. That's why. You're supposed to be thinking. This is the only list like this that you find in the Synoptic Gospels. Jesus laid it out for the disciples and for us. Praise him for that. And there's other verses you can look up later. There's Romans 1 that speaks to this. Galatians 5, we'll call the works of the flesh. Colossians 3, it's the earthly that's in you. Put off the old self, put on the new man. 1 Timothy 1, 2 Timothy 3, 1 Peter 4. They're all over. There's lists all over. And it's not a list of don't do. It's lists exposing what's in our hearts. That's why it's important for us to know. It's important for us to know why we need a Savior. <laughs> it's important for us to know when we raise our children. Sometimes they're doing things that's in their nature they don't know better yet. They need to be trained in the way that they should go. They need to be self-aware themselves. It's not to pound it over their heads, but it's important. The Lord taught the disciples on it. They weren't getting it. And by the way, the world around us, the unbelieving world, is going to twist itself in knots trying to explain why people do evil things. They'll use psychology. They'll use statistics. They'll say it's uh, environment, it's you had a broken home, it's your economic situation, um, it could be your lack of education perhaps, maybe you didn't have good examples in the home, and yeah, they might have some, some influence, but there are murderers that have gone to college, there are murderers that have never even left high school. There are rich people in jail. There are poor people in jail. There are people that had two parents and were raised in a Christian home, and they're not walking with the Lord. You have others that were raised by a single mother who did everything they needed to do, and they're just fine, as far as we know. So it's not a product of environment, and that's what the Lord is talking about. The Word of God and experience shows us and tells us something different. When we hear the world tell us, well, it's, it's because this poor person, we should go, no. No, it's sin. It's in us. Can we help them? Yes. Can we alleviate the burden in some way? Yes, but they've got to hear the truth. How do you call evil evil if you don't think it, it exists? When, when I see the news and I say, this Actually, somebody actually say this is an evil act? Shocked. What, why is it evil? If you don't believe in indwelling sin in us, why is it evil? We're just doing what evolution tells us to do. Dance to your own drum. But it is. It's in us. It doesn't matter any of these things. James 1 tells us so. James 1, 14 and 15. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. It's in us. 
So Jesus' point, it's uncleanliness and sin is not a, uh, it's not a ritual problem. It's not about what I do, didn't do. It's a moral problem. It's a problem that's inherent in us. Our heart is sinful. And the only reason why the environment can possibly influence us is because we are enticed by the environment. Right? Your environment or circumstances don't make you sin. It can only appeal to what's already in you. If you're not a thief and you have no desire to thieve, thievery, it doesn't matter if somebody breaks a window in a riot and you go grab a TV. You're not going to steal because you don't have that in you. But you might have been the one to throw the rock, to break the glass. You might have been the one to lie to the police, right? So it's not about what's around you. It's what's in you. And you know, Christianity is not about a list of do's and don'ts. I'm not talking about any of that. And I'm also not, and the Lord definitely did not say, hey, do whatever you want. You could take in whatever you want. 1 Corinthians 6 tells us, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Oh, Okay. You can do some things, but you can't let it dominate you, control you, influence you to the point where you can't think of anything else. And it could be the most innocent thing in the world. You might be thinking about the football game right now. That's cool. I don't know. I'm not. But you could be. Does it dominate your conversation? Does it dominate your thoughts? Does it dominate um, your, your desire? Does it, does it cause you to be angry? How does it, these things that are lawful, how do they influence you? 1 Corinthians 10 says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. All right, so I'm not going to be dominated, and if it doesn't build me up, what's the point? So we should be avoiding these things. Again, it's not about outside making you sin. It's avoiding the things that would trigger our fleshly desires. And there's a common things that we hear about all the time. music, movies, television, alcohol. All right, so those are the common things. But they're, those are the easy targets. There are probably a hundred other things. I'll condense it into a handful. How about something that maybe would get you angry? How about the news? News ever get you angry? All right. I mentioned sports. I have known in the past some people get upset when their team loses. Why, I don't know. Maybe I used to be like that. How about uh, something that would make you slanderous? Not make you, but influence you to be slanderous. How about politics? I've heard some Christians call the opposing things party, some names. Maybe you shouldn't be calling them. There are some true names, and there are some that are just un 
untrue, unfair. How about uh, about worry and anxiety? How about marketing? How about everything on television practically is targeted to these fleshly desires and inherent sin things that we have been talking about? Everything. Here's the brand new 19, you know, whatever, 2028, you know, Corvette. I love Corvettes. I would love nothing more to own a Corvette. Again, I used to have one a long time ago. But it causes you potentially to covet, to desire. Have you ever had anything that got you so upset that you got angry at your spouse about it? That you had division even in the home because of something not even in your home. Something that makes no difference to your walk with the Lord, but it has enough of an influence to create division. I don't know, it's been a year plus of COVID. How much division have we had over it? Over conversations, simple ones. There's something there. I think we need to be careful. The world uses this to sell, to divide, to control. We know that because that's what the Bible says, that the enemy uses these things. So be careful. Psalm 141 says, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth, Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not let my heart incline to any evil. To busy myself with wicked deeds in company with men who work iniquity and let me not eat of their delicacies. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Hmm. Be watchful. Be mindful. See what's going on around you. Don't succumb to what is already in us. The good news is that uh, while our hearts are defiled and there is what appears to be little hope, there is a way to kill, mortify, crucify this flesh, this heart, and that's via a heart transplant. Pastor Bernie likes to use heart transplant. Heart transplant. He's right. It's what it is. Zechariah 7.12 says, uh, God compares our hearts to diamond hard stone. Not even like, that's a rock. Diamond hard. Hardest, one of the, if not the hardest substance that man knows about. A heart of stone that finds it impossible to repent, to love God, or to please him. The unregenerate heart, a a hard-hearted stone. You don't even know how to love God. Hearts of sinful humanity are so hardened that we cannot even seek after him. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks after God. So we sounds like we're in an impossible situation. We have these inherent fleshly desires that are just in us. We have hard hearts of stone that doesn't want to change, doesn't refuses to go to the Lord and seek Him to be softened. And that's the point. 
because that's what it is. We're unable to do it on our own. A change of heart, a heart transplant. Nobody can throw themselves on the table and change their own hearts. They need someone else to do it. And this can only be done in a supernatural way. The Lord said, no one can come to him unless the Father who sent him drew him. John 3, 3, the Lord said that. What we're talking about, this heart transplant, it's called being born again. And born again is a byword. Born again, Christian. It's a byword. That is the word. And that's it. It's the only way we can explain it. You need Jesus to become born again. Because we cannot do it himself. And that's what Nicodemus asked. Like, what? Can a man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? No, it's not born of the flesh. It's born of the spirit. You need a spiritual rebirth. And the Lord made a way. God made a way. God made a way through his son, Jesus Christ. God showed his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Why did he need to do that? He needed to do that because he needed to pay for all these sins, all this inherent indwelling sin that we have. All that list plus. And many more that probably are not even documented. No one knows what's in our heart, this hard heart, except ourselves and the Lord. And he knows what we need. And Christ died for us because he paid for those sins. When we have hard hearts, we incline ourselves towards rebellion, selfishness, and sin. But when we are born again by God's power, mercy, and grace, the Holy Spirit gives us a desire to please God, which was completely foreign to us. I can tell you in a moment when that happened to me. Some of you know when, in the moment, it happened to you. When you turn from sin and self to the Lord Jesus Christ and forgiveness. Others, it was a process. It was over time. But it's having a right understanding of your need for a Savior. It's always, we tell this, uh, we say this a lot here. Always be preaching the gospel to yourself. Remind yourself of the gospel. Not because you, want to, you need to be, I've got to be saved again. It's not that at all. Because as we'll do with the Lord's Supper, it's an understanding of yourself and your need for a Savior and giving thanks to him. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, laid out on that table, with a hard heart. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. That's what we've been talking about for several weeks. By grace we have been saved. It's not the stuff the Pharisee was trying to do. Oh, wash the cup, wash your hands, drink the cup. It's none of that. It's grace that we need. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us 
Christ Jesus. And here's a very common, we hear it so many times. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works. Not because you come to church. Not because your parents raised you right. Not because you uh, washed the cup. You ate the food. Uh, you come to the prayer meeting. You brought some food for Lord's Supper. You do this. You do that. You clean. You don't go R-rated movies. I haven't had a drop of alcohol. Uh, I don't do drugs. Uh, you know, I don't watch these programs. It's none of that. Those are all works. And the Lord calls them filthy rags. That doesn't matter. Not a result of works. Why? So that no one may boast. You cannot do enough good to get into heaven. If you're using the scale analogy, oh, I think I'm going to be good. The scale is like this. Always. Forever. Impossible. 100% God. 0% you. You're never going to get there. And that's the point. So if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have not repented of your sin, if you don't understand even what I'm talking about, I do pray that the Lord will give you ears to hear and eyes to see to understand. And all I can suggest to you is go home, go to a quiet place, ask the Lord to reveal himself to you. Ask the Lord Jesus to reveal himself to you. If you understand that you're sinful, if you understand that you need a Savior because you're not going to earn your way into heaven, then all you need to do is turn from your sin and trust Jesus in your salvation. That's all you need to know for now. Turn away from sin. Turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. For those of us that have done it in the past, maybe as an encouragement, we have Titus 3.3. 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Isn't that wonderful? We were once those people on that list. Now we are not. Does that mean that we don't struggle with sin? Of course not. He who says he's without sin is a liar. And he makes God out to be a liar. We struggle with it. But we have the ability now with the Holy Spirit in us to set aside, mortify, kill the evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, evil, slander, all those things. All those things that are in our heart, we can set it aside. 
We can mortify. We can take up our cross. We have to take it up daily. The Lord took it up for us. And there's no cross. There's nothing that we could give up that would ever repay. That's not why we're doing it. We're not repaying. But we're honoring that sacrifice. And by God's grace, we will persevere and grow more in the likeness of our Savior. Amen. Amen. All right. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ took the questions and gave the answers, Lord. That we might understand, that we might comply, and we might learn, Lord. But most importantly, that we may repent and turn to you, Lord. Lord, we know that it's only with a new heart of flesh that you would even accept us, Lord. And we need that heart from you. We need to be softened by you, Lord. We might have a hard heart this morning, even before we go to take the Lord's Supper. We may, our hearts may be hardened in some way. Hardened towards our brothers and sisters, towards people, towards you, possibly. Lord, forgive us. We need that internal washing, Lord. We, we don't want to be those that just have eye service, Lord, and lip service to you. But you know us. You know our hearts. You know our innermost being, Lord. And yet you loved us and you sent your son for us and he willingly sacrificed himself for us. What good news, Lord. Lord, we will praise you with an upright heart, Lord, when we learn your righteous rules. Your word says, may we seek you with our whole heart. Let us not wander from your commandments. Lord, help us store up your word in our hearts that we might not sin against you. Lord, we will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge our hearts, Lord. Give us understanding that we may keep your law and observe it with our whole heart. Incline our hearts to your testimonies, O Lord, and not to selfish gain. Lord, we entreat your favor with all our heart. Be gracious to us according to your promise. Lord, may our hearts be blameless in your statutes that we may not be put to shame. Your testimonies are our heritage forever, for they are the joy of our heart. Lord, may that be true. Incline our hearts to perform your statutes forever to the end, Lord. Lord, this morning, with our whole heart, we cry, answer us, O Lord. Answer us, Lord. Thank you for your Son and for our Savior, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Christ Community Church is a God-glorifying, Christ-exalting, and Bible-centered body of believers who love God and love people by making disciples of Jesus Christ. For more information on us and to learn how to give towards our media ministry, please go to our website at www.christcomchurch.org. That's christcomchurchcom.org. And look for the Giving tab at the top of the homepage. 